I don't know about you guys, but as the weather gets colder, the last thing that I want to do is leave my house and stand in a line to get into a grocery store. That is why I love using Instacart. Instacart is a grocery delivery service that can deliver your groceries in less than two freaking hours to your front door, where all you need to do is stand up from your couch and walk to your door. That is sweet, sweet victory, my friends. And today, Instacart is offering $10 off your first grocery delivery. Click the link in the description to get $10 off your first delivery from Instacart. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to the Life Coach Baker podcast. I'm Nicole Baker, life coach for perfectionists who want to set goals and actually follow through with them. I went to my first personal development seminar at the age of one. Yes, I was quite literally born into this industry. But by 15, I started to implement this mindset mumbo jumbo I'd heard so much about and it worked. As a recovering perfectionist myself, I've been able to set goals that are way out of my comfort zone and achieve them by doing things imperfectly, without self-judgment and without the fear of their opinions. And now I help others to do the same. So if you are capital D done feeling like a hostage to this a-hole called perfectionism, then this show is for you. My goal is for you to leave each episode with tactical action steps that you can start to implement in your life now. I may be in my 20s. I may have the voice of a sassier Cinderella, but I've been doing this personal development-ish since I was a toddler. So let's dive in. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Life Coach Baker podcast. Before we dive into this awesome, awesome interview that I have lined up for you guys today with Krista Parker, I want to do just a quick check-in because a lot of the times us perfectionists, we like to do, do, do constantly. We like to have a lot of things on our list. We like to constantly stay busy, and which is something Krista and I will actually talk about quite a bit, but we don't really stop and allow ourselves to really feel and zone in on what's going on in the present moment. And this has been a hard year. This has been a really hard year to feel, really feel. And it's things are kind of starting to get a little deja vu. And um, just recently I had a moment of just like really stopping and allowing myself to feel what's happening. And did it feel great? No, of course it didn't. It was hard, but it allowed me to really get present and allowed me to be so incomprehensibly grateful for the things that I've done, created, and for. And a lot of those things that I've done slash created were things that I allowed myself to be guided on. They were allowed – they were really present. They were really – just such beautiful slowed down moments. So, and, and, and in between even the gratitude and feeling so grateful and so peaceful with that, there was a lot of high tense moments of, wow, mourning, just mourning over and over again. And so I just want to open that conversation up that if you have not allowed yourself to really stop and, Stop what you're doing. Stop filling yourself up constantly with do, do, do. Give yourself that grace. And it doesn't need to be painful. It doesn't need to be hard. It's just a moment of like getting present and just realizing that you 
are your heart is still beating in a year that has been so difficult and just feeling the gratitude and the weight of that. So feeling a little extra emotion today, but it's all very, very grounded in gratitude and gratitude for you all who listen to this podcast and grounded for just the people in my life who keep me going. And I hope that you have people in your life who experience that as well. So anyway, today is a really cool interview. I don't know how else to say it. Like it was just so fascinating talking to Krista Parker about trauma and what trauma looks like outside of our our presupposition of it. I think that a lot of people think that trauma is just assaulting, getting assaulted, getting raped or something like that. And it's not just that. And don't get me wrong, that definitely falls into that category. And that should not happen to any human. Don't get me wrong in any mead by that. But th- that it can be so much different and it can look in a lot of different ways. And a lot of the times perfectionists don't like to admit or feel because of so many reasons. And I'm not going to spoil because Krista does such a good job of talking about it. So a little background about Krista Parker. She is a mindset coach and soon to be licensed therapist. Yes, girl, for women who are managing anxiety, embracing imperfections and achieving balance without sacrificing any success. I want to repeat that last one because it knocked me on my butt. She helps women achieve balance without sacrificing success. Oh, oh, I love that. I love that so much. And we dive into what that means and how she views that at the very beginning of the episode. I think it's just so important for people to listen to. So without further ado, go ahead and take a listen to this week's episode interview with Krista Parker. Welcome, Krista Parker. This is so exciting. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. Well, before we dive in, I want to make sure everyone knows all the beautiful work that you do and who you are, what you do both inside and outside of coaching. Well, thank you. Um, so uh, like Nicole said, my name is Krista Parker. Um, I am a mindset coach um, and also a soon-to-be licensed therapist, a former professional dancer, a Pilates instructor, a personal trainer, all the things. Um, but my focus and you know my intention of being on here today is um, I help women manage anxiety, embrace imperfection, and achieve balance without sacrificing any success. I want to spend at least 45 minutes talking on that last one, because how, how do you do that? You know, I think that we, we live in this world where we expect imperfect, we expect imperfection, we expect perfection of ourselves. And we expect that perfection and perfectionist tendencies and schedules and committing to all the things leads to the ultimate weight, ultimate um, visual of success and what we see as successful for ourselves. And we do so much of this without living in any sort of present moment, without being in what we're actually doing. And so we're just achieving all these things that aren't actually what we really wanted to achieve in the first place. Um, And so one of one of my things is I find that you don't have to give up success in order to um, in order to embrace imperfection in order to embrace your messy side. However, you can attain success and you can attain success in the thing that you want to most be successful at rather than a zillion other things that you've like chucked on and added on that don't actually fill up your cup and don't actually help you feel successful. 
what like it's the it's the overachiever tendency where it's like oh if I do this one thing then I have to do the 15 things to the left and the 15 things to the right and I have to be the master of them all I have to do them all right now and it just leads to burnout it leads to exhaustion it leads to that overachiever and I love that you said not living in perfect or not living in the present moment because a lot of the times what it does and I, I noticed this among my clients who are very much leaning into the perfectionistic tendencies before working with me and I'm sure you notice the same with yours mm-hmm. is you see when they start to slow down and when they start to take things off their plates that like you said don't fill up their cup it's like they're like oh, this is what living feels like. This is what living in the present moment feels like. And it feels so good. And we sometimes think that you need to layer more, more, more when it's actually normally less, 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 less. Totally. And I think, I think too, we also, you know, we add on these, these labels to ourselves of, Mm -hmm. of being the, whatever identities we hold in our life of being, you know, the, the, the good enough, um, the perfect mom or the perfect sibling or the perfect entrepreneur or the perfect employee or the perfect performer. Yeah. And when we add on those layers, there's so many more layers of of judgment that we're also layering onto those, those spaces that we hold. And those are even just, if we could get rid of those, which is, I recognize, so much easier said than done. <laughs> um, but even if we could just get rid of those pieces, you're not getting rid of any success there. You're just getting rid of the judgment you put on what you're doing. We're not even five minutes in and I already have chills. That was so perfectly put. Oh my God. So for, for someone who is like, okay, that is easier said than done. How do I start that process? What would you say to them? You know, I think... <sighs> It's a, it's a tough thing to answer because I think it's different for everyone. Um, but if we're leading into this sort of like perfectionist tendencies, perfectionist world we live in, mm-hmm. one of the ways that I sort of start with folks is um, through understanding, and I'm doing this with one of my clients right now and it's been so much fun, but understanding our story and understanding who we are, where we are, where we came from, so that we can logically put two and two together in terms of why our mindset is the way it is. Because for most people, it's actually very logical and it actually makes a lot of sense. But until we literally write out the story of, oh, this is what I was telling myself my whole life. Mm -hmm. This is how I was as as a dancer growing up in front of a mirror. And this is what I thought about my body. No wonder I have a hugely disordered relationship with food. That's just yeah. an example, but it's typically, you know, some of the work that I do, it's it's typically very, very logical. And I say that to my clients, I'm like, it makes a lot of sense that you are where you are. Yeah. But I also know that you don't want to be there. So how can we, you know, go back to that story, understand that story, process that story fully? Um, and that's where we get to move forward. It's like the first step to everything is awareness. Like if you, you can't change things that you're not aware of. And I love that you say story because story, it, it, I mean, it fuels our belief systems. It fuels everything. And a lot of people think that they should not be telling themselves the story that they're telling themselves therefore solidifying more and more and more the story that they have. And it's like, it's just like layering um, quicksand on concrete. It almost feels like. Definitely. I think I also, I also feel, you know, I think in this present moment called to, to also recognize, you know, layering the story also of what, 
Western culture, if that's where folks have grown up, what Western culture has taught them. So, you know, for those of you that don't know, we're sitting here and we are, as we sound, two white women sitting here <laughs> talking here. And, you know, yeah. I'm sure we have our own issues that come from being women in misogynistic cultures, but, you know, carrying other marginalized identities, other gender identities, other racial identities that also hugely inform what we've learned about ourselves and what how we've un- come to understood our worth. That oh, my God. My two crazy little dogs. So <laughs> totally fine. Totally fine. I I love that you bring that up, especially this year when that's all shoved to the forefront in the the way that was needed to happen so long ago. And I think that now, especially, people are realizing, oh, okay, like, oh, I am a lot more privileged in this way because I don't have these thoughts or I don't have this story that I'm also telling myself. And um, I I. I'm not well-versed enough to speak super into that, but I just like, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. Oh my god. Yeah, and I I think it's important, but I also think it lends itself to, you know, it lends itself in some ways also to personal gaslighting in terms of like, I grew up so privileged, so I don't have a right to feel these things. Like your, your feelings are your feelings. And regardless of if you feel like you should or shouldn't feel them, you already do. So I think, you know, I think it's twofold. I think it's understanding that, that oppressed marginalized identities are going to under have significantly more, um, stories that align themselves with, with this oppressed identity, um, because of what, the world has taught them about themselves and, you know, living in a world that doesn't value them as much as it values other humans. Um, But I also think, you know, if a white woman comes to me and is talking to me about feeling like she doesn't have a right to feel the way she feels, I'm also going to push back on that as well. 100%. Oh my God. Well, I want to, I want to take this and, and kind of go into the topic that you and I were wanting to discuss today, which was like, you are so good about trauma healing. I'm going to call it that and, per- and correct me if that's not the, oh, beautiful. Um, how, what is that? What does that look like? And how did you get into this field? Cause that's something you don't hear every day. Yeah. So I am, I am very passionate, um, about trauma informed care and trauma informed care being, um, a holistic approach to healing the whole person. Um, and healing the whole person as in the person healing the person also has to be aware of, you know, their mindset, their mental health in the space, um, in the space of working with the person who is seeking out healing. And I think that, you know, we live in a world where, you know, more of us have experienced trauma than have not at Mm -hmm. this point in time, whether it be, um, whether it be a singular event, um, an identity we grew up with, kind of like what we were just talking about, um, or, you know, a more prolonged experience. And the way that you can sort of, the way that you can sort of um, identify trauma is it's anything that puts your body and your nervous system into a space of fight, flight, or freeze, right? So anything that dissociates, like dissociates your body or makes you feel outside of your body, um, it is like trauma is a neurological response. Um, we don't decide what our trauma is, which is interesting because I actually literally have an Instagram post that says that we get to define our trauma. So we, do, our body defines our trauma. Yeah. Right. Our body defines what is trauma and what might be trauma for one person is not going to be trauma for someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's really important to say, because I think a lot of people hear the word trauma and they're like, 
whoa, I wasn't like, I wasn't violently assaulted. So I, I've never experienced trauma, especially in this like perfectionist tendency world that we live in is where so many of us, you know, we want to uphold this perfect life that we've had. Um, and I think that trauma can come from anything from growing up as a female in Western culture yeah. <laughs> and, and hear, hearing certain things about your worth and about your body that, that means that your body is, you know, is, um, objectified to, to the extent that it is. So I think that it's important to delineate that trauma is not just the, the, the image that many of us see of the young woman walking down the street being assaulted. That yeah. that's not necessarily what trauma is. Although we've learned that we have a an extremely high rate of you know assault, sexual assault, sexual abuse in this in this country in the world. Um, trauma is so much more than that. It can be yeah. it can be anger. It can be a way that you've been treated by a significant other. It can be a parent. It can be a relationship with someone with a mental illness. It can be you know, anything that has has put your body into a state where it has to survive instead of process. Oh my God. I am so glad you broke it down that way because you, I, you don't hear that. You don't hear it broken down in like what we were saying, logical, like not logical. No, I'm going to say logical ways. Like, like what you were just saying, how the brain and how that works with the fight, flight or freeze. Like I've never heard it broken down until speaking to you just a few weeks ago. Like I think that's so fascinating. And especially this year, mm -hmm. have you noticed, I mean, collectively as a world? Yeah, there's actually, I mean, there's a lot of research, A, coming out that COVID-19 is a collective trauma. Yeah. You know, we're sitting at home, we are isolated from our loved ones, from our friends, from our family, maybe from the place we used to live if we went somewhere else to quarantine. Um, and we're watching on television as hundreds of thousands of Americans are dying alone. Yeah. You know, that that in and of itself is collective trauma. And if you're able to dissociate from that, I don't, I, there's a lot of other stuff going on. <laughs> There, that that in and of itself is a collective trauma that I expect. I think the mental health world expects to show up, um, to show up even now is showing up even now in mental health, but to show yeah. up down the line as as an an important moment for people. You know, children growing, children who are having to all of a sudden do school from home and miss all the the relationships of school and the relationships of community. You know, um, COVID is is a perfect example of a collective trauma. What are some ways that you see it showing up now? Is it in like certain belief systems and certain stories? Also, sorry, you have dogs. I have a windblower outside apparently. So is <laughs> this so is life, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Messy action. Messy action. Um, so, you know, I think it shows up, you know, it's interesting because it's tough to delineate it now because when you're in a trauma you can't, that's the, that's the physiological part, right? You can't, the, you can't process while you're surviving, like yeah. while you're trying to survive, you can't process. And so what happens after I think is, is going to be, is going to be the important thing. I think it's, you know, how as a nation, as a world, we, we heal from, from the effects of the pandemic economically, globally, interpersonally, in our relationships with our family, friends, et cetera. I think that, I think that's going to be really telling, but I think, mm -hmm. you know, to, to answer your question, one of the places that, that trauma healing starts isn't actually in talking about the event. So many people get freaked out and they're like, oh my gosh, I have to do trauma 
healing, I'm going to go talk about like my deepest, darkest, most horrific events. Like, no, that's actually not, not where you start because that's just going to trigger the body back into that place of fight, flight, or freeze. And so instead, instead we start with the body, the body in the present moment. Keep talking. That is okay. brilliant. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. So totally. So we, so we start with the body in the present moment in terms of like trauma shows up. So if you think about emotion, like a tunnel, right? Mm-hmm. Like go driving through a dark tunnel, if you go into the tunnel and you stop, you never get to the light at the other end, right? You never get to what's at the other end at the moment where it's processed. So with trauma healing, a lot of times what happens because the body can't fully process in the moments that it's just trying to survive, we get stuck in that tunnel. And that's where you see physiological symptoms show up. A lot of times um, there, you know, there's a ton of a ton of um, GI and gut issues linked to trauma. There's a ton of skin issues linked to trauma, um, sleep issues, anxiety, depression. You know, those are those are your body's way of of trying to survive and cope with something that otherwise is painful to cope with. So, how do you identify it in the body? Like, like, are you saying like identify like, oh, I have anxiety because of this reason, or is it more? Is there a step one before that? So typically. You know, the way that I sort of, there's a million different ways to go go at it, but typically, you know, in the realm of trauma-informed care, you know, we establish safety first, right? Mm-hmm. So my relationship with the person I'm working with is, is the most important thing. Because if they don't feel safe with me, there's no way in, no way in hell that we're going to be able to talk through any kind of trauma. Oh, yeah. Um, so so it's, it's establishing safety and collaboratively, coming up with ways to um, reground in moments where we feel elevated. Um, So those typically show up as, you know, different grounding tools, you know, for folks who are, who do meditation techniques. I will say wholeheartedly, I'm not a huge meditation person, although many of my clients love it. So I'm happy to do it with them. Um, But, you know, little grounding techniques, little things that bring us back to the present moment, you know, feeling our feet on the floor, feeling our seat in the cushion, you know, reminding ourselves that we're safe, affirmations, things like that, so that we can come up with a toolbox of safety things that we can teach our body and our brain to jump to in moments where we get activated right? Our energy gets activated. Our fear systems get activated. Our cortisol gets activated. Yeah. Oh, this is so fascinating. What do you, what do you personally like to do to get in the present moment? I know you said meditation's not your thing. So yeah. So I mean, sit, I, I, I prefer little, I shouldn't say meditation isn't my thing. I prefer <laughs> smaller bits and pieces of meditation throughout, like sprinkled throughout the day in my daily endeavors rather than like sitting and listening to a headspace for 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Um, I just, you know, to all your perfectionists, I am you. And I can't sit there for that long without like making lists in my head. And I just own that a hundred (laughs) percent. Oh, I love that. I do. I love like the people who are like able to sit undisturbed, like no guided or anything like that for 15 minutes. I'm like, I would, I would plan out not only my day, I would plan out my next five years. I would have every single month, all the goals of the month plans. Like I would just, my brain would be so active trying to grapple things. And like, um, 
maybe that's some reason why meditation like guided does work for me is because I need someone like when I have some, another voice in my head, like processing through what I'm supposed to be going through. But then I have like, sometimes if I get too familiar with them, too familiar, like the law of familiarity, I'll just, I'll start glazing over them and listening to it passively. So it's like, I have to constantly be switching it up, but that's, I like really powerful voices. I, I don't do like the, and breathe. I need like, yeah, and yeah. feel your soul. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So how did you get into this, this field, like as a whole therapist and everything? Yeah. Um, it's yes, it has been an interesting journey. <laughs> um, I, so I graduated from college in 2016 um, with my bachelor's in dance performance um, and psychology. And psychology was my double major just because it was something I was fascinated in. Um, and But I knew that I wanted to pursue dance. So um, I moved to New York City. I pursued a dance career for about eh, probably two and a half years. Um, did like all the side hustle things. I worked, you know, I worked at Lululemon. I was getting my Pilates certification. I did a whole <laughs> bunch of different things to survive. Um, and I sort of got to this point with dance where, you know, dance was my safe, was my safety and my mm-hmm. groundedness and my space where I could f- actually feel in the present moment in my body. Mm-hmm. And the second dance turned into my career, that relationship was like stripped because yeah. dance now became, you know, it became this, this pressurized thing of like, well, you have to do this in order to like make money and eat and like say you're successful because you're surviving off of dance. And I was like, that's not the relationship I want with this for the rest of my life. So mm-hmm. I sort of stepped away from dance and I started, um, I started teaching one-on-one Pilates at Equinox in New York City. And I really, um, you know, I had been teaching dance for many, many years. Mocha, I love you, but this like that's like loud okay um so i so i'm teaching pilates in at equinox in new york city i really you know i fell in love with teaching i fell in love with you know working one-on-one with folks and working one-on-one with their bodies um and i i felt also so honored that people you know trusted me with their bodies um because you know if if you've done one-on-one pilates it's a it's an intimate relationship um, working with your alignment and muscle activation and, um, and all sorts of stuff. So I was teaching Pilates full time and I really took to it. I also really, you know, one of the things I loved the most was the relationships that I was building with my clients. So Mm -hmm. it was not only like, I was excited to see Rachel every Tuesday and Thursday, I was excited to see Rachel and hear what happened with, you know, something that was going on with her husband or something that was going on with her kids and something that like she talked through and processed with me during our, during or after our Pilates session. So um, that sort of like struck a chord with me. And from there, I, you know, I was promoted up through the company. I started managing one of their, their newer higher end clubs on the Upper East Side. Um, I hated everything about it. I just was not, I, I will just be honest. I, and not be, I, you know, I think Equinox is a great company. I just working in that, working in that the corporate gym world and also managing it like took away the spark for me. I yeah. want to be teaching. Um, but in order to, you know, live and function in New York city comfortably financially, I had to do like the manager role. So, um, so from there I got, 
really, really, I'll just be honest. I got really, really depressed. Um, and I felt like, you know, what am I doing in the world? Like, I, I want to make a difference. I'm not doing the thing I want to do. I don't know where I'm headed. Like, I'm in my mid twenties. Like I need, you know, my perfectionist in me, like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Like, yeah. this isn't it. So I quit. Um, I quit and I ran away to Utah, which is where I live now. Um, but I just spent a summer there, um, living at my dad's house, being up in the mountains, kind of spending time in therapy and working through a lot of my own demons that I had my own trauma that I had never worked through. And I, decided that I wanted to go back to school. And I, I decided, you know, um, mental health was sort of the direction I wanted to lean into without, without letting go of sort of my passion for the body and somatics and how the body functions and works. And, you know, I sort of just saw this, saw this need for more practitioners in the world who work closely with the body and the, the mind. Cause I yeah. just, think they're so interconnected. Mm -hmm. And I think that you, you can't heal one without the other. And so mm -hmm. that sort of got me into graduate school and in my graduate program, um, I'm will graduate this coming May, um, with my master's in social work. And then Ooh. we'll test for my license as a therapist. Um, hopefully. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of where I am. And then COVID happened and that's sort of where I was like, I see a need in this online space and I'm bored at home and I want to fill it. So yeah, sort of, I, you know, started hiring, started working with some coaches who I absolutely love and adore and have really helped me sort of pivot my online business. I still am, it still very much am teaching Pilates to too many of my online clients who have just stuck around with me. Um, but I'm also working as a mindset coach, which has been so much fun. Oh, I love, and I, I want to point out for listeners because we talk about this a lot. Coaches need coaches, need coaches, need coaches, need coaches. Like it's just like having a mentor, having someone outside of you is always, I don't know about you, Krista, but like I notice I do my most amount of growth, whether I'm working with a business coach, a mindset coach, a life coach, like I do the most amount of work when I have that outside mentor or have that outside person to bounce ideas off of, to guide and just like, Oh my God, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And, and it's so, you know, I think it's, it's, it's so important because I think, you know, whole like full disclosure, I have a business coach and a business coach community that I'm a part of. I'm mm -hmm. in a mastermind right now. And I also have a therapist. So yep. I'm working in both capacities. I'm working in the capacity of accountability and coaching and I'm working in the capacity of my own healing once a week because I can't help others if I don't help myself. And big same. I, I just, I, right now I'm working with a spiritual life coach. So not, not necessarily therapist, but sometimes it feels like therapy. So like, um. If this episode's resonating with you, you might be a great fit for my one-on-one -on -one coaching program. I help perfectionists get clear on what it is they really want, set goals that will help them get there, and actually follow through and achieve them. If you'd like more information about my program, email me at hello at lifecoachbaker.com to set up your free discovery call. Now, back to the episode. I wanted to ask you a question, kind of going back a little bit. You said that you did a lot of healing of your own trauma and feel free to expand on this as much as you want. But, um, you did a lot of healing of your own trauma and like really looking at your own demons and releasing. Was that with someone else? Was that like self-processed? How did you go about that? And again, share as much as you want. Yeah, no, totally. So I, you know, after I, you know, I have always, I have always been a very high energy person, um, high energy human being, high achiever, 
you know, mm-hmm. you name it, that's me. I was like the straight A kid. I was the, you know, had couldn't just have one major in college. I had to have two and a minor and like <sighs> the dance association. Like that's You're on the right podcast. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like always been me. And, you know, when I sort of noticed that I, I was experiencing depression, like I was having all these symptoms that I didn't want to recognize because I was like, no, like, I, I'm doing all the, I'm doing all the things like I'm surviving in New York city. I'm at this age, I have a full-time job, like X, Y, and Z like, no, I'm not depressed, but I was fully depressed. I like couldn't, I, I was having trouble sleeping. And then when I would fall asleep, I was sleeping way too much. So those were some of my symptoms. I also personally have struggled with GI issues my whole life, not my whole life, uh, the last 15 years. Um, and I like have a diagnosis of IBS, which for anyone who doesn't know, it's basically a diagnosis from GI specialists saying, we don't know what's wrong with you. So we're just going to label it this because every, Uh, I did a zillion tests and felt super, super invalidated by the medical world that wouldn't, you know, identify what was physically wrong with me. Um, so, you know, among dealing with like all these GI symptoms, you know, I was, I was also dealing with skin stuff. So I had like a whole bunch of different things showing up. And I, I, one day, you know, I was, it was after I had gotten to my dad's, I sort of just like had a mental breakdown for like a way of explaining it. And I was just, you know, I was, I sort of just fully, fully disclosed to my dad that I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here in this world. I don't know where I'm going. I feel totally lost and I feel, ah, sorry. I feel totally lost. I feel totally um, powerless for the first time in my life. And I feel like, you know, for the first time, and not that, it, not that we all have to get here with, with, um, with depression, but I feel like, you know, if I were to just disappear, no one would miss me. And that was like the first time I'd ever verbalized it. The first time I'd ever felt that way. Um, and so, and I had already started from that point working with a therapist and, you know, I am lucky I have a, my mom is, um, a nurse practitioner and I spoke with her and she, you know, introduced the idea of going on an antidepressant. And at first I was like, no, I'm not like, I'm not the medicine type. Like I want, you know, holistic, I want to go the holistic route. And she was like, no, 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 this isn't not holistic. This is help. This is a, you know, a substance that'll help your brain reactivate and start to take in more serotonin so that you can feel better. It's not a forever thing. It's a band-aid so that while you're doing the the work that you need to do with a therapist, the work that you need to do journaling, the the healing work that we're talking about, um, you can actually take in that work because your brain doesn't have the capacity right now. Because that's how depression works. It's you know it's chemical in our brains. Our brains aren't taking in enough of the good stuff and they're holding in too much of the bad stuff. So um, so I went on an antidepressant that I actually weaned off this May. So I was on it for about a year. Um, and it helped, you know, it helped my sleep substantially. It actually helped my gut issues, um, substantially. Interesting. Really interesting to think about. Um, I didn't have any kind of side effects. Um, it was all just good stuff. Um, and I, you know, I continued to work with a therapist. I also was doing like an online course of, of, um, like journaling prompts that was really helpful for me. Um, but for me, it was, you know, it was fully processing, you know, it was processing trauma. It was processing. I, um, I have an older brother who is, um, is a drug addict and has spent the better half of the last five to seven years in and out of prison. And, you know, I lived with him growing up. And so I have, you know, that have experiences that I went through as, as a teenager that, 
I never went, I've never gone back to, yeah. I've never gone back to to fully understand. Um, and so that was sort of the time that I needed to go back. It was my body and my brain saying, all right, you, you're not going to go forward until you process what's behind you. Um, and so that was the time that I, I spent doing it. And I, I don't think that I could have done it had I been working full time. I don't think that I could have done it had I been in New York city. Like there was something about being up in the mountains and being up in a beautiful yeah. place that, that was helpful. Um, I have two dogs that are the loves of my life and um, <laughs> were, you know, are like my little buddies and my little companions. And I think that, like, I think that the, the stars aligned in order to set me up for this experience. Wow. You are such an awesome human. Like, I'm just, I, I love talking to you because it's, it's, I love that you talk about this stuff in such a way that is like, this is natural. This is natural to be talking about this, to be working through this. Like you do not have to, I think that one of the things I believe you and I talked about on our first call was just like the need to do, I'm going to say personal development, just to blanket statement it, the need to do personal development perfectly. And the need to like not make it messy, the need to like make sure you're always having a happy mindset. And if you take a step back, that means you failed. And it's like, <laughs> and I, I like how you're laughing because you and I know exactly the people who, yeah. we, and we literally, the, the week that this airs, the re- previously, uh, we will have done an entire episode devoted to personal development guilt. But like for your clients or for people who have been experiencing that, what would you say to them, especially from a trauma background? You know, I think it, it's so interesting. First of all, I would validate them and say that I, you know, I hear you and I am you and I was you and I, you know, I've been there. Um, and I, you know, one of the biggest things for me in my experience was it wasn't that I went through shitty stuff. It wasn't that mm. at all because I think, you know, I think as, as perfectionists, you know, I, I think everyone ex- expects at some point in their life you know we all we all I I firmly believe that we all go through our things but I think that it wasn't that component that hurt me the most and it wasn't the experience it was the fact that I was never willing to admit that I was affected and that I was Mm. by it and I think that you know for those of us who, who are those type a perfectionist overachiever personalities we fill our life up with stuff to yeah. do so that we don't have to look inside at our own stuff. Yep. Um, and I think that one of the hardest things to admit, and it was the, I will forever remember kind of the moment in, in my therapist's office when I admitted it, where I said it was that I wanted to come out of this whole experience with my family and my brother unbruised. I wanted to be the one who was unbruised and who was fine because mm-hmm. I was always the kid who, you know, despite it all, you know, I was, I was the perfect kid who despite it all still had the straight A's and still had this and still had that. So I was going to come out of it emotionally unbruised. And when I realized that that was impossible, that was the hardest, that was the hardest (laughs) for me to admit was that I was affected. Um, and that all these things that I love to do and love to fill my life up with had become something that was, was building a wall for me, keeping me from accessing parts of myself that I needed to move forward. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Well, that's so good. That was so good. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Um, I have, I have, I have a really interesting question and let me know if this even makes sense, but yeah. you've discussed how identifying where trauma is in your body first, before really 
diving into the story mm-hmm. and reliving it, I'll even say for like, is it like a single place that it lives? Like for instance, like um, I, I think I've shared this on the podcast and I'm really open about this, like being in a domestic violence relationship many, many years ago, does that live in like a certain place in your body? Or is it like a, like almost like a knot, I guess, like I'm thinking like muscles, like, a, like a knot in your body mm-hmm. or is it something else? I think it, I think it's not an, or I think it's a both and. Okay. I, it's, um, I think it's a combination of things. So, so the ways that, and my, my therapist works this way with me, but the way that we approach it is, you know, checking in when we start to talk about subjects that get closer to, get closer to the content or yeah. closer to the story or closer to what's really go on, going on. She fully stops me and says, I want to know what's going on in your body right now. Or she'll say, you know, I noticed that as you're talking about this, I, you know, I noticed that you started like uh, doing this thing with your fingers or your chest started coming concave forward or your hands went here. And she'll, she'll say like, can, do you want to talk about that? Can you explain to me? Can, can you talk me through that or, or what, what you were feeling in your body? And so we talk a lot through, um, and she, you know, she's also a former performer. So she's um, pretty somatically minded and is trained in a whole bunch of physical trauma healing stuff. But we talk a lot about, you know, where stuff comes up. And it's, it's fascinating for me is that like, when these topics come up, if I don't skirt through them, as in like, mm-hmm. word vomit, like 12,000 words of an entire story, and then we're like, okay, how do you feel now? Yeah. Stop in the middle, as we talk about it, for me, most often, where my body activates or shows up is in my digestive system. It is my lower belly that shows up. Um, So I can't say that that is, you know, that is that way for everyone. However, I find it really interesting also in working with my clients where, you know, I have one client who for her, it's her throat area. Like as she starts to talk about stuff, it's uncomfortable for her. Like she feels her throat start to ball up and like feels stuff. Yeah. Yeah. People feel stuff start to like, um, tense up in her throat. So it's not always. And, you know, sometimes there's like my stomach will show up and, and I'll also notice something that feels really good in that moment. Like my shoulders will feel really good. So we'll take our attention to the area in our body that does feel grounded and that does feel okay. And then we'll try to like expand that to more areas of the body. So it really does become about the body work and not about the content of the story. How do you go about releasing it? Is it through like breath work or is it just through processing? Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting really into this. No, this is fascinating. So, fine. Um, it is, you know, again, it's, it's all of the above. Um, it, 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 you know, there's not one way of doing it. Sometimes, you know, there have been moments where I've been, been super activated where we've done work and I, I post about some of this stuff, but where we've done work, we're like, we're in this virtual world right now. So yeah. We're not necessarily in a therapy office, but she'll tell me, you know, we'll do an exercise where like, if I'm starting to get activated to bring my nervous system down, she'll have me look out the window and look at the farthest thing I can see. Mm -hmm. And then slowly, you know, breathe into the farthest thing I can see and then see something a little closer and then something a little closer and then something a little closer until it's in the room that I'm in. And then, and then we, we kind of re-enter the emotion that it started with, like what the fear that came up beforehand or the sadness or whatever came up, we will re-enter that. And nine times out of 10, I feel more comfortable with the emotion. 
which means wow. that it's processing. That is so fucking cool. <laughs> like that is just so amazing. Oh my yeah, goodness. It's, it's, it's pretty, it, I mean, there are so many books about trauma in the body and you know, it's, it's the putting it into practice at this yeah. point. That's I think very uh, trendy. Oh gosh. Okay. Now we're barking. Sorry. <laughs> we're fine. You're fine. I always love asking guests what their favorite resources are, like whether that's book, podcast, speaker, so on and so forth. What have been some of your favorite resources going through this? Um, mine are definitely books. Um, one of them, because I very much identify, um, in the, the, um, the working with, uh, domestic violence survivors and sexual assault survivors. Um, one of them is the book, uh, Know My Name by Chanel Miller. Um, Mm. it is one of my absolute favorites. If I'm sure you haven't heard of Chanel Miller, you've heard of her story. She is the Brock Turner victim um, from California. And she wrote a memoir and starts the book by saying that she's not a writer. So don't expect it to be beautiful or don't expect it to be anything, but it is literally just the most poetic, um, the most just poetic way of telling her story. And it sort of allows you, I find as a, as a woman, I self-identified as a female, it allows you to, um, it allows you to feel things that like, she gives you permission to feel things that you didn't know you needed to feel. Um, so that's one of my absolute favorites. Um, another one that I really love for people in this work and for people who work with people, um, is a book called trauma stewardship. Um, and it's all about, um, the effects of being around others trauma, um, and how we can still care for ourselves while witnessing, um, the pain of others. Oh, I'm going to link both of these in the show notes because yes. I'm probably going to get both of these right now. <laughs> yes, know my name and trauma stewardship. And there are a million more, but those are two oh. I, I personally really love. And if you want to geek out, okay, I'm going to give you a third. Um, if you want to geek out about like the physiological components of trauma, um, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk's um, The Body Keeps the Score is like the go-to in the world of doing it. Um, so that, that really goes through, you know, the physiological processes. Um, and he worked with everything from, you know, war vets to people who were assaulted to, um, folks in prison. So he, he really, um, hits the nail on the head with that one. And I want to even point out to listeners, I think that is the, you are now the second podcast guest to mention that book specifically. (laughs) So that is very, do you know Jillian Page Schaefer by any means, Mm -mm. by any chance? She's, uh, she was on the podcast not too long ago. She's the creator of Meisner and Music in New York City. Uh, but she does a lot of trauma healing in that as well. And it's fascinating. But anyway, um, oh, that's, oh, oh, that's so good. Oh my (laughs) goodness. And then I wanted to, I always ask my, um, uh, interviewees, is there some kind of exercise? Is there some kind of step-by-step process that listeners can take away from this? If they, especially, I'm going to even just call out perfectionists by, (laughs) by category, um, people who are perfectionists who have not yet allowed themselves to feel these things because they have to constantly do, do, do. Yes. Um, so I, this is a super simple one and it's an easy one that I, I teach to clients all the time and it's a really quick grounding technique. Um, and so, you know, where I would put it in, into the lives of, of, perfectionist would be in those moments where you're making a thousand lists and doing all the things and feeling like you have to do all the things, then you're adding on more things to do. 
Yeah. yeah that, that's so if you, if you have the, the mental strength and the fortitude to be like, whoa, in that moment where you're like, whoa, what am I doing? Um, this is one that, that I really love. It's a mindfulness technique for settling your nervous system. And so in, in that moment, I would say, you know, connect to your breath, mm-hmm. where you're sitting, notice five things that you can see, name them, four things that you can feel, mm-hmm. name them, three things that you can hear, name them, two things that you can smell, name them, and one thing you can taste. And then go back to maybe what you were doing before and maybe you'll be in a space where, you know, it doesn't all need to happen right now. Yeah. I love that like it's almost like a camera lens and it feels like the camera lens is zoomed so far out. Like here's all the, it's like, it's like looking at, I don't know. I I was, I've been watching a lot of Lord of the Rings recently. So it's like watching the entire like Gondor army or something. (laughs) I'm nerding out really hard right now, but it's like zooming out so much that you can see the entire freaking army versus zooming in on just one person in the crowd. And it's just like getting into the present moment and just like letting yourself really, that was probably the weirdest metaphor I could have possibly used, but you know, it's the first I came up with, but like just really zooming in. We talk about that a lot with feeling overwhelmed. And it's like, when we're overwhelmed, it's because we're looking at all these different things that we have to get done. And our brain is trying to prioritize them all as number one importance right now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, when in actuality, it's like, just chunk it down. What's the first step? What's the second step? And I love the idea of getting present first using the five senses. That is so good. And I'm going to type this out in the show notes. And do you have a, do you have a post or something like that with this? So yes, I can credit it. I Beautiful. Send it to you. Yes. I yes, will. please, 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 please. Oh my God. I mean, I could talk to you for literally hours, but this is fascinating stuff. I, I always, um, we always do some quick segments at the end of the episode, which is what is one way that you got in your own way this week? And what is one small goal that is worth celebrating? It can be small or big. One way that I got in my own way? Yeah. How did you get in your own way this week? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Does does it just have to be one? I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) For me, a way that I got in my own way is, you know, in a, in a, um, while, while sort of, ending things with the person that I was dating in the last week, which did happen in the last week. Um, I sort of took my emotions hostage by worrying about his emotions. Uh, um, so kind of the, the worry, the worry and the overwhelm of someone else's, someone else's pain. Mm-hmm. Oh man. And then how, what's one small goal worth celebrating? One small goal worth celebrating. Um, my small thing is I have super stuck to spending my Sundays not doing homework, not doing any of the things, going up to my dad's, uh, watching football and letting my dogs run around. And it has been so much fun. That has been, that's so lovely. Oh my goodness. And yeah. I'm going to, I want to throw another question in just cause I want to, I want to know from you, like, what is, do you have like a routine or do you have something in place habit wise that you do that makes you feel good every day? Um, yes. So I am, you know, I am very avid about daily movement, whether it be 
um, strenuous movement or not. Um, so, I mean, I, I luck out because I have dogs. So I, you know, I go for walks every day, but um, that, I, that actually has, and this is new as of COVID, but my thing has been going for, you know, a consistent walk every single day has been like my one thing that I have stuck to. And, you know, I talk about this on my Instagram, like people preach morning routines is super yeah. trendy. Um, and <laughs> I like to get to a morning routine on average for about a month before it, it feels like it's starting to get stale and I start to just go through the motion. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very, you know, I, there's always something in my radar that I'm, I'm trying to consistently do every day, but it, it does change, um, mm-hmm. because I, so that I don't like outsmart what it's supposed to do for me. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but walks have walks have consistently been, have been it. And I don't take my phone. Um, um, and it's sometimes 50 mi- 15 minutes and it's sometimes an hour, but, um, I really just enjoy, you know, I'm in a beautiful place and I just enjoy getting outside. So, oh, that's lovely. I love that so much. I feel like I just drilled you for the past, like 45 minutes. I was like, question, question, question. No, um, it is so fun. It has been so much fun. I just, you are just such a wealth of knowledge in just so many different areas that I feel like are not talked about enough, especially among this community. And I'm so grateful that you were on the podcast. Um, I want other people to know where they can find you and absorb all of this information. So where are you? Yes, totally. So um, my most reliable place to find me is definitely through Instagram. Um, My handle is at krista.parker, krista with a K and a Y. Um, And yeah, I mean, I am, I'm pretty consistently in there showing up on stories and um, posting pretty valuable content um, about these little mindfulness techniques, about trauma-informed care, um, about psychoeducation. So there's a whole bunch happening in there. when I launch working with new one-on-one clients, that all that all happens in that space. Um, and also, if you visit the the link in my bio, you can um, schedule a free thirty-minute um, mindset discovery call, which is so much fun. Uh, awesome! So definitely go visit my Instagram, follow all the things, um, and I would just love to you know chat with folks more. Oh my gosh! Thank you so so much. And I'm gonna retweet what you just said. Like you post such amazing content go follow. Like, it's just like, even just to like have that while you're scrolling, just like those big, bold, look at me reminders are so important. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for what you're putting out into the world. Thank you so much. Thank you. It has been so much fun. And, um, I hope that some of this res stuff resonated with folks. So I can, I can vouch. (laughs) I can (laughs) vouch. (laughs) No, this was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What an awesome human. I mean, just so freaking good. (laughs) Before we wrap up today's episode, let's do some major key takeaways. Number one, you can obtain success by going after one thing that you love rather than all the things that you've tacked on to that one thing. Number two, trauma is flight, fight, or freeze. I thought that was so interesting. Number three, your trauma might not be something that someone else would define as trauma. Trauma can come from anything and your body decides what that means. Number four, think of emotion as a tunnel. If you go through a tunnel and you stop in the middle of it, you'll never get to the light on the other side. That's how emotion works. Number five, some cool grounding techniques, reminding yourself that you're safe, affirmation, any of those grounding tools are really important to have into your body or in your back pocket for those moments that you're feeling activated. Number six, 
You can't help others if you do not help yourself first. Having outer accountability is so important. Number seven, we fill up our life with the stuff that we have to do, quote unquote, so that we don't have to feel. Stop it. (laughs) And number eight, grounding techniques. This is for those moments when you're feeling like you need to do all of the things and you're making crazy amounts of lists and you want to really get present. Here's what to do. Connect to the breath. Notice five things that you can see. Name them. Notice four things that you can feel. Name them. Three things that you can hear. Name them. Two things that you can smell. Name them. And one thing that you can taste. Of course, name them. Then go back to what you were doing before and see how much less overwhelming it feels. You guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. As always, please take a moment, if you have not, to rate and review the podcast. It helps so much with getting more of these interviews and more of this information out there. And if you haven't already, I would be shocked if you haven't after hearing this interview. Go follow Krista on Instagram. She's so cool. All the links in the show notes to the resources that she named in addition to her personal pages will be in the show notes. Thank you guys so much, and I'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Life Coach Baker podcast. Now, don't forget to go and get your free five-day mindset makeover by going to lifecoachbaker.com or by clicking the link in the show notes. Until then, I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.